Let's turn in our Bibles to our sermon text, which is Acts chapter number 2. Uh, one last time in Acts chapter number 2 here uh, during the Advent season. I want to pick up where we left off and conclude this chapter. There's a little sermon notes page as well uh, in the bulletin if you'd like to take notes. There's a little kids notes page as well uh, that was on the table with some questions for your kids to uh, follow along, hopefully, in a simple way uh, and answer some, some, uh, some questions about uh, what they hear. So here at the end of Acts chapter number 2, let's pick up at verse number 42. And they, the disciples, uh, the the crowds that had believed and been baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And all of God's people say to these words, Amen. So Jesus has uh, come, the Son of Man has come to earth, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a perfect life, he obeyed the law of God uh, in the place of sinners uh, like us, he died upon the cross as a curse, uh, which he himself himself did not deserve, Uh, he was the innocent who suffered in the place of the guilty, uh, and uh, he was raised up on the third day. God raised him up to testify that, yes, he is my son. Uh, Yes, his sacrifice was acceptable to me. Yes, he lived a perfect life. Uh, Yes, he was conceived sinless. This is my son. And he then ascended, we saw. He ascended back to heaven, to the right hand of God, the place of all authority and power and dominion uh, and, uh, and, and rulership and might of the whole universe. And he promised from there to send down the Holy Spirit upon the world, upon Uh, the people of God. And so our story picks up again in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. It's a required feast of the Israelites. Every male Jew was going to be there uh, three times a year in Jerusalem, and Pentecost is one of those days. And Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He was going to send the Spirit. They were going to speak in these miraculous languages. They are going to miraculously speak in languages that they themselves did not know, but that their hearers could understand, so they would hear the mighty works of God in their own language. And so we saw last Sunday that when they heard these words about Jesus being Lord, being Christ, and that they themselves were sinners, that they crucified him, Uh, they were cut to the heart, they asked what they they were to do, and the apostles told them that they were to repent and be baptized. And 3,000, we saw, were added to the church that day, were baptized and believed. And so we come to this little passage then that, that describes the first church. Many years ago, uh, some of us remember this. I think the George, Paula, maybe remember this. Uh, Ed and Ann probably remember this. Uh, there, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a magazine, sort of a newspaper magazine, that comes out every week uh, called the San Diego Reader. Right? It still exists. I, I think I've seen it around. Uh, the San Diego Reader. And they used to have a little column in there called Sheep and Goats. Um, and they sent an undercover reporter to come here. Uh, to OURC, I think it was like in the year 2002, so 20 years ago. Um, I had a lot less gray hair back then. 
same energy, but just a lot less gray hair back then. And uh, he was sent here to rate our church, so this little column called Sheep and Goats. And uh, in the little article that came out the next week, there's, little, there's sort of a list of the elements of the things that he rated and ranked. Uh, and, the, and, uh, and I still have this, so I looked it up. The, 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 the topics were sermon, liturgy, that's the order of the service, music, uh, and then my favorite, snacks, flowers, architecture, and friendliness. These are the, the categories that uh, this, this, uh, this friend came to, to rate. Uh, and I can, well, at least back then, I, I could back then gladly report, I, I think I can still say gladly, uh, that we were rated very highly for our friendliness and our snacks. Okay? <laughs> but I might also add, uh, we were also rated highly about the sermon and the liturgy. So, so there you go. Okay? So we all, we all play our part in the church. Some preach, some uh, serve, some uh, are friendly, uh, to, to outsiders, some reach out. Uh, we have musicians to help us to the liturgy. So uh, in all ways, it was a good, it was a good little article. But uh, it was, it's just telling, uh, that kind of a thing is telling the, the sorts of things people are, uh, they're, that they're looking for. Um, you know, if you were to ask probably one of us here uh, as members of the church, you know, what are the, the key ingredients of a church? We probably would say, you know, preaching and, and liturgy and sacraments and praying uh, and, and, and those sorts of things, but, you know, friendliness and snacks and, and uh, architecture and flowers uh, maybe would be sort of like on list B, right? The second sort of list that we don't see as important. But the point being, uh, some things are valued uh, for what a church is. So what do you value? What are the crucial elements of a church that stand out above others? What are the key ingredients, the things that are necessary? And without those things, you don't have a church. But if you have those things and you don't have anything else, you still have a church. What are those key ingredients? What are those key things that you value? Uh, if you moved from this area and uh, if you move from, from this church, if you're a member of the church here, and you had to go to another church, uh, what would you look for in that new in that new area. Cyprian's going to move uh, in June, so I want you guys all to go ask him after the service today. What are the key ingredients that he is going to be looking for? I know the answer, but let's see if he does. (laughs) Well, here's Luke, under the power of the Holy Spirit's inspiration, and he gives us a glimpse uh, into what the apostolic, right, the the apostles are leading this church. The Spirit-filled, we've seen, the Spirit-led church. What did it look like? What are the key things that Luke describes here as essential to the life of the earliest Christian church? And you'll see here, uh, there are various aspects of theology and, and liturgy and the community that the early church was devoted to. That's a very key word here, this uh, this verb here, that they were devoted to certain key things. So I want us to reflect this morning as we conclude this chapter in Acts. Pentecost, a very key chapter for us. Uh, what are the key values? Well, what are the key ingredients? What are the things that we need to have uh, to be, truly, to be an apostolic, uh, spirit-filled, spirit-led church? 
And I want you to see here uh, that uh, uh, the first thing that makes up a Pentecostal church, a church that does the things of the day of Pentecost, that is inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Pentecost, uh, is first of all a devotion to the Lord. That I hope is a very obvious point, but uh, a church that's devoted to the Lord. And in particular, notice the devotion that the earliest church had to public things, worship, ministry, uh, liturgy, and so forth. Notice in verse 46, day by day, where we were told there, attending the temple uh, together. Verse 46, attending the temple together. Uh, there was a time in the earliest church where there was this transitional phase and period between uh, Old Testament Israel and New Covenant Church, uh, between the temple and you know, what we would call you know, a church, right, uh, an assembly of, of God's people. But there was this sort of overlapping period where the first believers, the, the first church was made up of mainly Jewish brothers and sisters. And so they continue to gather at the temple in Jerusalem for the daily morning and evening prayers. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. God required every single morning, every single evening, afternoon, uh, that there were to be offerings, sacrifices that, uh, that were associated with prayer. So the smoke was kind of symbolic of prayer going up into God's presence. Uh, every day that would happen, morning and evening. And there's a time in the church's life where they still devoted themselves to that ancient practice. And we see it here. Day by day, attending the temple together. And we particularly see this devotion to public worship and ministry, though, in verse 42. They devoted themselves, we read there, to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of, the ESV just says bread. I'm going to tell you it's the bread. I'll come to that in just a second. Uh, and the prayers, right? There are these three things. There's a fourth thing. We'll come to that too. But just notice here for now, uh, they are devoted to these key things that evidence that they are devoted to the Lord, the teaching, the bread, the prayers. And so a truly spirit-filled church is a doctrinal church. That sounds strange in our, in our modern American Christian scene, doesn't it? That a spirit-filled church is a doctrinal church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine, as the older translations say. A spirit-filled church is a doctrinal church. Uh, one writer once described it, uh, a doctrine, theology, teaching as the soul of the church. We can have a building, we can have people, we can have an assembly, we can, have, we can meet in the park. We can have people gathering. It can look like a church. It can sound like a church and do churchy kind of things. We can have the outward structure, the body of a church, but we have to have a soul. And the soul of the church is its teaching, its doctrine, its theology. And so uh, they, they gathered to hear the word of the Lord read and exposited. They gather just as we should, and we gather as they did, to hear God's word, to hear it read to us, explained to us, and applied to us, to give to us inner strength, to give to our souls life. A truly spirit-filled church is a doctrinal church. Amen? No, every church has doctrine, so it's sort of a... It's sort of an oxymoron, it's sort of a, a, a 
a tautology. It's just a uh, sort of a nonsensical statement to say a, a, a church is a doctrinal church. Of course it is. Everyone has doctrine. Uh, but here, notice they are devoted to the apostles. The apostles' doctrine or teaching. Now, easy for them to say, right? Because they had the apostles there. How do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching today? We have the word, right? We have, we have, the, we have their, their words. We have the scriptures. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We have the prophetic words. We have the apostolic words. And so we are to be a church that's devoted to the teaching, the doctrine, the theology that comes to us through the apostles and prophets in their writings, in their words. There are, there are no other words that, that we need but the Lord. Man does not live by a bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the true and living God. So they devoted themselves to the Lord because they were devoted to what the Lord was saying through those apostles. And secondly, uh, or 1B here, if you will, uh, a truly spirit-filled church is a church that celebrates the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking, literally, Luke says, the bread. The breaking of the bread. Now, in verse 46, there were private meals. They, they ate together in homes. Common, we might say, private meals in homes. But they devoted themselves here, notice, in a public way to the, not just the teaching, but to the breaking of the bread. What do you think Luke is saying there? What does he mean by the, the, the breaking of the bread? Why doesn't he just say that they devoted themselves to bread? Why does he say the breaking of the bread? What, is the, what, what significance, important is that phrase, the breaking of bread? It's what Jesus did. It's the, it harkens us back to the gospel stories that he gave on that last night. And that last supper he gave bread to be broken. He broke and he gave to them. And so the breaking of the bread is the Lord's Supper to be, to be devoted to it. We should be devoted, we'll see in just a second here, we should be devoted to each other uh, and to life together and community and fellowship and love uh, and meals together and eating together and so forth. But we should be primarily devoted to the breaking of the bread, the Lord's meal. Because just like we can get together in our homes, around our tables, to have fellowship together, we do that here because we come to have fellowship with God himself in Jesus Christ. Holy communion, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, is a time for communion with the Lord in the context of his people. And so that's why uh, for seems like forever in this church we've had it every single Sunday morning to signify to us this very reality. To be a spirit-filled church is to be devoted to the Spirit's words and to the means the Spirit gives to us to communicate fellowship to us in Jesus Christ. And a truly spirit-filled church is a church that gathers to pray publicly. Notice, again, there are these definite articles, the word the, they devoted themselves to the, or the, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. Why not just prayer, singular, or prayers, 
plural. Why does Luke again insert the definite article the in front of the plural prayers? Why do you think? Why the prayers? Where, where are they gathered again? They're at the temple, and who's there? Who's there? Who's the they in verse 42? Who's the all who believed in verse 44, right? Who are the they selling and uh, uh, who, are the, who are the they who are day by day, you know, at the temple, receiving food with glad hearts and so forth? That's, that's the people of God. And so when Luke says the prayers, he specifically is pointing out the prayers that are offered together when the church is assembled in public ways. We need to, we should pray privately, individually, personally. Those of us with kids, to pray with our kids before they go to bed, say before we eat. Uh, Just normal, daily conversations with God, we should do that. Praying always, praying without ceasing, as the Bible says. We should pray together when, when just two or three of us are gathered for, for some particular reason. You know, when we have our meetings every month, we pray. And maybe, you know, when our women's Bible study meets, we pray, men's group, we, you know, we, we, we pray quickly and so forth. But here it's particular, public, we might say, say liturgical, like worshipful praying that is going on when God's people are gathered. And so a truly spirit-filled church Uh, is a church that's devoted to the Lord, uh, and we show that because we listen to his voice, we receive his meal, and we pray to him. One hymn says, Feeding and drinking, Lord Jesus, of thee. Feeding by reading and drinking by prayer. Reading and praying, I eat and drink. Praying and reading, Lord, thou art my fair the word is like food to us and our praying is going back to the lord in thankfulness gratitude so what are we going to do right we hear these words and what does it mean for us you ever heard the phrase it's not rocket science (laughs) we've all heard that one haven't we It's not rocket science. Well, what's the church's next phase? Uh, What are we going to do next, Pastor? Uh, How are we going to get to the next level, right? Uh, We we, kind of talk in those those terms, those ways. What are we going to do next? How are we going to do this? How are we going to grow? How are we going to do that and that? It's not rocket science. As the church was devoted to the Lord, as they heard the word, as they fellowship together, as they pray together, as they receive the Lord's Supper together, we are told that it was God, verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day day those who were being saved. God calls us to be faithful in these little things, and we let him do the big things. So what impact, then, does devotion to the Lord have? Okay, we, we do these things. We 
we read the word, we preach the word, we receive the Lord's Supper, we pray together. Well, what impact does that have? Well, notice secondly, that a Pentecostal church is a church that's devoted to one another. As we do these things, we, it begins to impact us and transform us, not just in our relationship to God, but our relationship to one another. Again, notice uh, there's that definite article. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, we read. Verse 42, the fellowship. And the phrase that Luke uses here, it has uh, financial overtones. Uh, as we are so devoted to each other that we have a willingness to share all that we have. If you turn over to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, in chapter number 1, at verse number 5, notice this, just listen to this, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse number 5, he says, uh, oh, it says in verse 3, I thank my God in, my remem- in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That, that language of partnership, it's the same language that's used here. It's translated as the fellowship. Fellowship, partnership, communion. These are all synonyms of the same, uh, the same word. Uh, and this partnership in the gospel, this fellowship in the gospel, uh, turn over to chapter 4, Philippians 4, verse 15. Again, the apostle says there, and you, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, there's that fellowship word again, with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul uses that language of fellowship in terms of uh, not just sort of a, you know, a nice feeling that we have one to another, but it had actual, like, tangible uh, expression in financial overtones of giving and receiving. And you see that here in our passage. So it's not just fellowship, again, as a sort of ethereal, you know, little feeling. There, uh, there's a Dutch word, gezellig, which means uh, it's just sort of like a chumminess. Uh, a warm fuzzy, you know, that, that you get. Um, There's not really a translatable word for it in English. It's just sort of a, a fuzzy, nice, warm, uh, touchy uh, sort of, you know, feeling that you get uh, when, say, you're with someone else or you're doing things that are kind of sentimental and whatnot. Fellowship, the fellowship is more than just that. Verse 44 through 46 tells us that it's, it has tangible expression. And all who believe were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. So their, their fellowship, the fellowship, had tangible expression, as anybody had need, and day by day and so forth. So a true church, a truly... Uh, uh, Pentecost-oriented, centered, inspired, Pentecostal church is a church that's devoted uh, to each other. So does that mean we can't have private property? Larry, your farm belongs to me. (laughs) 
Does this mean that we as a Christian church should be, become a commune? Doesn't it tell us that they're selling their possessions and their belongings and they were giving it all away? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's been taken that way by some. That's not what it's saying. No, in fact, we read later on in chapter 4 that the wealthy who had much, they gave of their much to support those who had need. So we see in chapter 4, and uh, encourage you to go, go back and read on your own, and in, in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, uh, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul actually commands the rich to give to those who have left. Not to get rid of all they have, but to give of their abundance. We learn in chapter 5, verse 4, that the rich didn't have to sell everything they had. We'll come to that later. But uh, when they promised the Lord they would, they would sell something, uh, it was the Lord who kept them accountable. So when Ananias and Sapphira are killed, they're struck down by the Holy Spirit, we're told, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Some say, well, it's because they didn't sell all their stocks and bonds and all their, all their properties and so forth. And that's why they were struck down, because, uh, because they didn't care uh, for the needy and so forth. No, it's because they told, they made a vow to God that they were going to sell some portion of property, which they sort of wink, wink, didn't do it, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. In fact, if, if they sold all they had, if there was no private property, uh, if, they, if, there, if there was sort of a Christian commune, uh, what homes are they meeting in again here? They're meeting in homes here, we're told. Whose homes? If there's no such thing as private property. The point is that they devoted themselves to one another, and, uh, and that devotion to each other is it's a deep devotion, and it's costly. It's not superficial. It's not cheap. Uh, just because uh, you, know, you open up your home in hospitality to somebody doesn't mean that your home and all that's in it belongs to the, all those who are invited over. It just means that you're sharing of your abundance with someone in need. But we are called to do that. All believers are called to be hospitable, the New Testament says, in some way or another. To share of what they have, whether it's a little widow's mite or whether it's with a lot. Their fellowship, their devotion to each other was deep and it was costly. It wasn't superficial, it wasn't cheap. To put it in the form of some, some questions... Let me ask you like this. Are, are you too busy for fellowship in the church? Are you afraid of getting too knit into the church because it'll cause disruption in your life? Are others' needs too messy to get involved with? They helped, they served, they gave of themselves they ate together. Uh, they sold as they needed to to provide for the needy. We'll see that in chapter 6 as well. The, uh, the serving of widows and so forth. Every single day they fed widows. What's really beautiful to see is that in chapter 1, verse 14, uh, we saw that, that, that there were about 120 uh, first disciples who continued with one accord in prayer, we read. Back in chapter 1, verse 14. And now here in chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 44, uh, all who believed were together and, all had, uh, and had all things in common. And again, verse 46, they continued day by day, attending the temple together uh, as they prayed and so forth. 
Later on in chapter 4, verse 32, we read, Now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. They had all things in common. They, had all, they, 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 were, uh, they were all in one accord, we read. So the original disciples, then, as the, there are now 3,000 plus a part of this church, they are doing the same things that the disciples did in that little upper room, or that somewhat large upper room. The first things the disciples did as they were devoted to each other, they had all things in common, they prayed together, they continued together with one accord. That's the same language now that's being used of the church as it expands and, and as it grows and it gets larger and will see somewhat unwieldy at some point. And what's so beautiful about that is that this close-knit community was formed by the Holy Spirit by means of the preaching of the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship the prayers, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. That's what created it. And as the church will see becomes and begins to uh, uh, no longer be a homogenous ethnic group of just Jews, uh, it begins to be a, a church of Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, of men and women and children, different ethnic backgrounds, different likes, of course, different dislikes, humanly speaking, all the different talents and skills, different levels of financial ability to sell and to give and to receive and so forth, but they're all brought together in the Lord. In fact, we're going to read throughout the book here, uh, Acts, uh, I think it's 25 times, the descriptor of the, ch the earliest church, which is a surprising descriptor of the church. You know, how would you describe the church? You know, what's the one key phrase that Luke gives here. He calls the church the brothers. The brothers. Or the brethren. In other words, it's a family. And so they devoted themselves not just to the Lord and went on their merry way. Their devotion to the Lord, to him, leads to devotion and service to each other. And that impacts as well how we relate to the world. What makes a Pentecostal church is a devotion as well to the world. As this earliest church was devoted to the Lord and to one another, we see that they were also devoted to the world around them. The result of their public and their private worship praying, fellowshipping. They're attending the temple as well as being hospitable in each other's homes, gathering publicly as the church, gathering together as the church in smaller ways. The result of all that is in verse 47. They're praising God, but notice also having favor with all the people. And the blessing of that favor with all the people is that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Again, just notice the... I know we all didn't do well in English class back in the day. I was a terrible English student back in the day. You know that? I was a terrible... I, I knew nothing about grammar. I hated grammar. Despised it. I hated it. Hated it. That was I, I hear this in my house a lot. You know, I'm never going to use this again, right? 
Shakespeare, right, Caden? <laughs> when am I going to read Shakespeare ever again? Why do I got to read Macbeth? Besides the fact that Denzel did a good job, right, playing Macbeth. Have you ever seen uh, the Denzel version, right? Might as well read it. But notice here, notice just the grammar and the basic, you know, we read the words on our, on our pages. We might just skip over them and glance over them. Our, our eyes might glaze over and sort of gloss over. But the people here, notice the church, they're praising God, having favor with all the people. And that all the people, not just, you know, in the church. This is describing they're in Jerusalem. The, the people is an Old Testament phrase for Israel. So it's describing everyone around whom they are living. But then notice the second little sentence in verse 47. You should have a little period there between people and capital and. Who's doing the action at the end of verse 47? So the, the church is doing all this stuff. It's devoting itself to the Lord. The church is devoting itself to one another. Uh, the church is... Uh, notice, though, having favor, and where's that favor coming from? It's answered at the end of verse 47. Who's doing the action there of adding? It's the Lord, isn't it? The Lord is doing this work. So what is a Pentecostal church? What is a church that belongs to Jesus and a church that uh, is devoted to him, a church that loves one another, as Jesus told us, our love for each other is signed to the world, uh, that he's sent the Savior. How can we be a Pentecostal church? And I want to re- remind you of that little phrase that is used, that it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. The church is doing these things And the Lord is doing his thing, we might say. We are to be devoted to the Lord. We are to be, and we show that by our devotion to his word and uh, to uh, the breaking of the bread, so the sacraments, the word, the sacraments, prayer, worship, liturgy, public worship. We are to be be devoted to each other, and uh, we show that by our tangible expressions of financial and Maybe our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever it might be. It could be financial, it could be other ways. But of ourselves, of our, maybe we have more time than someone else. We may not have as much money, but we have time. We can use that time to serve. Or maybe we do have a a lot of tangible uh, assets and gifts and whatnot, but we don't have a lot of time, and we can use that too. Uh, Perhaps we have talents that we can use and service and ways to serve and and to give of ourselves. Uh, You know, perhaps we don't have a lot of, uh, financial possessions to give, but I can give not just time, but also my talent. And so we're, we're, we see the church is to be doing all these things, but the results are God's. The results are God's. Didn't Paul tell us somewhere that one man plants and one man waters, Paul waters, Apollos, uh, uh, Apollos planted, Paul watered, or uh, or, or Paul planted and uh, Paul planted Apollos watered, or Apollos planted and Paul watered, whichever way. Uh, but who gives the growth? Who gives the increase? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so here we are at the end, almost the end of a of the calendar year. Let's 
be devoted to the things that God calls us to be devoted to? Him, each other. And as we do that, he's going to give us favor with those around us, the world. He's going to add. It's not rocket science. It's God's, it's how God works. It's God's plan. It's God's program. And so uh, I hope this uh, chapter 2 of Acts has been encouraging to you. It, uh, it's been really amazing to me to, to read it again multiple times and to think through it and uh, to see here what we are to see. We are to see the urgency of, of preaching and the Christ-centeredness of preaching. And uh, we're, we're to see here um, uh, the, uh, the, the call of the gospel here, uh, the conviction here of preaching that, that we've seen the last couple of weeks, but then the response of that, that we are, just to, be, we are to respond just by being faithful, by being faithful. Loving the Lord, loving each other, and letting God give us the growth. And so as we come today to do all these things, let's trust him. Let's trust him. We know that he has a plan. We know that he has a purpose. We know that his will will be done. Let's pray. Our great and our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, that you are the one who works. You are the one who labors. You are the one who gives growth and increase and addition uh, not just in numbers, but also, Lord, in the quality of our faith and the strength of our love. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would assist us uh, in all these ways today to be faithful to you, to love you, to be devoted to you, to de- devote ourselves to each other and the benefit and the good of our neighbor. And, Father, that as we do those things, uh, that, you, that you would uh, give us favor with the world. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be devoted to the good of our community that so they would come to know the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would do this work. Uh, we can't do it ourselves. We want to do it, but we're powerless apart from you. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's turn together in our hymnal and sing together in response as we prepare our hearts and minds as well for the Lord's Supper. A uh, beautiful hymn, a uh, great fitting hymn uh, to conclude our sermon, number 405. 405, I love thy kingdom, Lord. Let's stand up as we're able to stand and sing all the verses.